Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1067. It's July 4th, 2018. Happy birthday, America. This is the best of all possible worlds. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Bob Merlis. Hey, Bob, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I definitely am. All right. Bob Merlis is the founder of FeralCars.com and its more recent offshoots, Feral Cars on Instagram and Feral Cars on Facebook. Bob has had an ongoing career in the music industry dating back to the late 60s, but his abiding interest in automobiles and automotive history dates back even further. He is currently a contributing writer at Automobile Magazine, where his collectible classic features run regularly. He's been a regular contributor to The Car and Driver, and he's also written for The New York Times, New West, Feature, and served as car culture editor for LA Style. He contributes automotive chapters to the Catalog of Cool on Warner Books and its sequel, Too Cool, St. Martin's. He was the curator for the Peterson Automotive Museum, Cars and Guitars of Rock and Roll back in 2001, and he did it again, Cars and Guitars of Rock and Roll number 2 in 2006. So, Bob, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious lifelong passion for automobiles? Well, I've been uh, professionally, I've been uh, involved in uh, the music business, but concurrent with that, I've always uh, had an abiding interest in cars. And as you noted, it precedes that because when I was a little kid, I could tell the difference between model year cars. You know, I could tell a 53 from a 54 Chevy, 53 from a 54 Plymouth. I'm, I'm dating myself here and onward. <laughs> and that uh, <laughs> skill, so to speak, went into, into the mid to late sixties. Now I have to kind of use reference to make sure I'm accurate, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually in the ballpark. Absolutely. Well, I know you've been a car guy forever, and I'm so glad to have you on the show today. And we're going to learn a lot more about you. But first, as we continue on this journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. I, I always say it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Bob, take the wheel. Voltaire, this is the best of all possible worlds. Mm. I think he meant it ironically, by the way, but uh, you can take it either way and it works. My dad used to say, what are you worried about? It's only a matter of time and money and you've got plenty of both. Well, he was speaking for himself. Actually, he ran out of time, but uh, he seemed to have some money. <laughs> well, great. Well, how have you incorporated that into your passion for cars? Well, I'm just looking looking forward to uh, uh, having juxtaposition to cars that I'm excited about or interested in, and I can find something exciting about almost the most deadly boring car you could find. I once did a, a piece on a Dodge Stratus. Really, nothing. Oh my gosh! That interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just enthusiastic. I guess you could say I, I always find something to fixate on or to focus on about virtually any car you that I come in contact with. could be lug nuts or the taillight lens or something. It just yeah. I'm just focused that way. 
I think this ties a little bit to this feral car platform and what you're doing with that, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But first, I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. You talk about being a little kid, knowing the difference between cars, but tell us about a pivotal moment as you can remember it, that you knew you were indeed a car guy. I made the connection as a child. My father drove a Chrysler at the time, and my mother drove a Plymouth. I was analytical. I mean, I probably was four years old. And I realized that the shift lever on both cars had a common knob. And I deduced from that that they must have been made by the same people. Nobody told me that. I don't think I was actually literate at that time. So I understood the connections. So the families of cars, Cadillac, Buick, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, Chevrolet, you know, and as a child, I had displays of the families of cars on a little bulletin board I had. I tried to be as comprehensive as possible. I used to, I wrote to Willie's Motors to get Jeep station wagon brochure of whatever year it might have been, even though they hardly changed at all. And I found it ironic that I, when I wrote to American Motors, their corporate headquarters was on Plymouth Road. <laughs> you know, these things are amusing to me, probably to nobody yeah. else. A really um, pivotal time was when I actually campaigned, as you would uh, to launch a new product or a political campaign, to get my father to buy a Mercedes-Benz in 1958. Unheard of. Oh, oh and, wow. And he did it. And he did it. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> I was nine years old, and I forced a huge expenditure uh, proportional and that car was kind of a lemon, actually. I should I should be embarrassed, but what the heck? Oh, well, what, you can what, you can claim right ignorance for, as a little kid, <laughs> right? That serves you right for taking advice of a nine year old. Yeah, but, see, uh, Dad. That, <laughs> that experience led us to spend a whole lot of time in a Studebaker dealer because at the time Studebaker Packard still existed was the distributor for Mercedes Benz in North America. So while we were waiting for them to figure out what the heck was wrong with my father's car. I walked around the showroom and, you know, saw these, the last year Packards up close and personal, Studebaker, Golden Hawks, and so on. I converted from, you know, being sort of interested in foreign cars, which I still am and still was, to uh, being a Studebaker guy, just as they were crashing and burning. You know, it's interesting the things you noticed as a kid. I remember when I was quite young, and I'm a little bit younger than you, but we had a car. Well, there you go. We had a a Pontiac Tempest that my parents had bought. It was probably the worst car they ever owned. It it had to be a Pontiac. We had one of those, too. That's the car that followed my dad's Mercedes. It was a reaction to the Mercedes. Oh, goodness. Well, this was just a. It spent its whole first year in the shop, and they finally got rid of it. But the thing I remembered was the door sill, that body by Fisher, that little carriage. And it just sticks in my head because I was a little kid. I'd always look at that going, what is that there? Why do they have that there? And then my parents bought me a car book. And I had to be like five or six years old. And in the car book showed old carriages. And I went, oh, that's what that is. I had no idea. Why would they put this weird wagon on the door sill of a modern car? I, I, it's a, the oddest thing to me. But I always remember looking at that, climbing into that car. Very funny. Well, Let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, Bob, and talk about a big challenge or a big failure. Now, you worked in the music industry. Boy, if that isn't fraught with ups and downs, I don't know what is. But tell us about one of those times in your life where you're really kind of faced with a big challenge or a failure. Kind of walk us through it and tell us what it taught you, because that is the most important feature of those kinds of situations. Well, it uh, you know I understand that. It 
teaches you to be resilient. I mean, in the music business, every album release, even every single release is, is you know, potential for a great success or a failure. The percentage of hits to misses is very small. So you, you're used to these setbacks. I think when my career at Warner Brothers Records came to a conclusion, I was kind of a lost soul. I had no expectation that it would ever end. I'd, I'd worked there for 27 consecutive years, 29 in total. So that was my world was the corporate world. And I was very, very closely associated with that specific company, which had you know many great and notable artists. So I just sort of had to reconcile myself to, I got to think of something else to do. Or, you know, as it happens, it's something very closely related. But I was very used to living in a corporate environment. And then I had to um, sort of adapt and figure out what I could do with the skills I had to, um, you know, continue in music. Maybe that could have been my cue to just deal with uh, automotive topics full time. But it always yeah. coexisted. Yeah, exactly. What What's the lesson you learned from that situation? I mean, he- you obviously bounced back and you found a way to uh, continue forward, but a lot of people are faced with those kinds of things and they're like, what am I going to do? I mean, they just, they, they don't know what to do. Is there any little word pearls of wisdom you could offer? Well, I don't know if I have something that, you know, could fit in a fortune cookie, but you just sort of have to kind of take a step back and consider what it is you know and the people and who you know and how that can be adapted to, to move into the future. Chris Isaac, the, um, you know, the rock the guy. Songwriter, singer, guy. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he knew I was, I was coming to the end of my tenure, and I was fairly close to him. Interesting guy, drove a Nova, even when he had giant hits. He said, you know, the, you got to get right back into it. They'll forget you. And I thought, oh, that made, that put fear into me. So before yeah. I even left Warner Brothers, I knew when my last day was going to be. I already had formulated a plan to uh, launch my own situation and have Ah. some semblance of continuity. That was a good idea. I I mean, I would have been tempted to kind of like, oh, well, I'll just go away for six months. I probably wouldn't have been able to think about anything, but what am I going to do when the six months are over? So I got right into it. Yeah, it's hard to take that time. And looking back, same with me, when I left the last company I was with trying to decide what to do. I wish I could have taken that time and relaxed, but I just wasn't wired that way. Couldn't do it. I worried every day. Like, what's next? What am I going to do? I got to figure something out. And I've advised people who've come into that situation since, please take some time, even if it's a month, take some downtime and just do something for yourself. Even if it's getting up and doing yoga every morning or walking or whatever you like to do. Actually, I did, it wasn't a month, but I did go with um, Dick Messer. He was the executive director of the Peterson Museum at the time, and he proposed that we go in his 57 Nomad from Chicago to L.A. on Route 66. And I, I said, okay, I'll do it, because I have this little window of time. And we went along with uh, another passenger in the car was Johnny Reno, who was Chris Isaac's sax player, amazingly. Johnny Reno. Wow. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. And we drove on routes. You know, we met in Chicago and drove, you know, just like the song. Although Dick wanted to stop at every um, wrecking yard along the way and take a look at the inventory. It took (laughs) us quite a while. But, you know, it wasn't a race. It didn't matter. And he never let anybody drive. He so, did all the like, driving. Wow. Okay. A hundred percent of the driving. I was, I offered every day, but he never took me up on it. 
and he never wow. took Johnny up on it. So we just sat around in the car and yeah, got to enjoy the view. Yeah. We did enjoy the view. It's great in the backseat of the Nomad. It's got the sliding windows. Oh yeah, and, uh, it's relatively panoramic. It's not, it's pretty good. What a ride! Yep, D- met Dick Messer many many years ago. Well, let's shift gears and talk about a career aha moment, a time where the headlights kind of illuminated a new path for you. What was one of yours? I was going to go to the Studebaker National Meet in South Bend, Indiana, because that's where Studebakers were made. So I figured if I'm going to ever go to one of these, it should be the in South Bend, where the heritage is. So I was going to drive in my Lark convertible, four-speed, 289, hot car. I thought, well, I could write about this. So just a I wrote a letter, snail mail in those days, to David E. Davis at Car and Driver, and I knew that Car and Driver had a sense of humor because of P.J. O'Rourke having been a contributor. And I wrote a letter to Davis, and I included some things I'd written for other outlets from New West or whatever whatever the outlets were that I had contributed automotive pieces to, mm-hmm. and um, said, I propose that I drive my Lark to South Bend and back with the top down all the way and write about it. And he went for it. I mean, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Just said, okay, uh, we're not going to pay for your hotel, but we'll pay for the gas or the other way around. I can't remember what it was. And and I wrote this lengthy piece. I mean, these uh, automotive enthusiast books, uh, magazines do not have a lot of text anymore. But this was very text-heavy. And it was called the Studi Zone, and it was, you know, it was kind of a play on the Twilight Zone. And I chronicled our trip. I had a co-pilot going out and a different co-pilot going back, uh, friends of mine. And we talked, uh, wrote about um, that experience and being at the um, at the meet in South Bend and the return home. And I was pretty, I was true to keeping the top down, except for one time when it hailed. So oh, goodness. I, had, yeah. I, just, I just had to put it up. I had yeah. a dent in my head, had I not. <laughs> oh, and that gosh. was great because I really had great admiration for Davis. And he hired me. And that opened the door to my being uh, a fairly regular contributor to a Car and Driver, which I always thought was the best of them all because it had a sense of humor. My takeaway from there is take a chance. You know, call somebody up, write them, email them, text them, say, hey, I want to do something with you. You never know. They might just say yes. So, yeah, uh, kudos, I mean, uh, I theorized about it, and I was surprised when he accepted it. I thought, whoa, hey, now i got to deliver for this guy. <laughs> yeah, but now you got to careful what you ask for. <laughs> they were happy about it, and after Automobile Magazine started up, Jamie Kitman reminded Davis of that article, The Studies, and suggested, but we should, we should see if this guy wants to work for us. And nice. that, uh, that's how I made the transition from car driver to automobile magazine. Way, very cool. Very early in its run, maybe the, within the first year of its uh, first issue. Well, let's talk a little bit about your first really special car and maybe share a memory about that vehicle. My first, uh, I, I learned to drive, or the first car I had a, a lot of access to was my mother's 1968 Peugeot 404. Four speeds oh on the column. Yeah. <laughs> the okay. fourth of which was was overdrive. <laughs> I mean, I'll just tell you a funny anecdote about that car. I, I I went to Columbia University on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and I would take the subway home to Brooklyn, where my parents lived, and borrow the car for the weekend. I didn't live at home; I lived in the dorms. But I borrowed the car, and I 
drove it somewhere. I can't remember. It was like to a sandwich store near near my dorm. And I went in and bought a sandwich. I came out and I opened the car. I was desperately hungry. I was going to eat the sandwich right in the car. And I I put the key in the door and it, it stuck. But then it opened and I sat there and I looked at the car in front of me and I thought, oh, another Peugeot. Another Peugeot with my license plate. I had oh, no. opened a, I had opened That's somebody a wrong else's car. car. <laughs> and, That's funny. Uh, both of the, the cars were Peugeots were relatively common. You kind of two parked it in sequence in Manhattan, and uh, there was a sodium vapor light there. That was the street lighting, so colors meant nothing. My mother's car was maroon, and the car in front of me was. Uh, and the car I broke into inadvertently was green or something, <laughs> but I read it as maroon. And I went, oh, my God, i got to get out of here right now. Yeah, I'm in the wrong car. Oh, that's hilarious. Cars. I didn't try the key in the ignition. Who knows? I was going to um, ask, did, did the key start the car? That would have been even I didn't more try. I, I had figured this, this can't end well if somebody who owns this car finds me sitting in it eating right. a hero sandwich. Yeah, no. Oh, that's funny. So that was the first special car in your life, that old Peugeot? It was special, but the, the first car that it was really mine was uh, an MGB. It disappointed me all over the world. It broke down in Yugoslavia, <laughs> Germany, in Wyoming, in New Jersey, California, New York. These cars are don't have really uh, with it ignition systems. The points would burn out. The car would just die on the road. Oh, uh, and it was a. I got it new. It wasn't. Uh, nobody had worn it out. I remember once I started the car. It backfired and flames came out of the bottom to the point where we called the fire department. But happily enough, um, <laughs> because, and I heard these terrible stories about they see flames, they'll just hack your car up with a hatchet. But it actually did restart or I got a tow truck. I can't remember how I got out of that one. And I, it, despite the fact that this car was not good to me, I had very fond memories of it. And when it was time to get another car, I thought, well, I'll put it up on blocks and save it for 30 years and it'll be worth something. It really didn't pay to be sentimental <laughs> no. about that car. But, yeah. you know, was it, hey, an English sports car, come on. Everybody wants I know. that. Yeah, everybody wants that. That car disappointed me all over the world. That's a great quote. <laughs> I'm going to write that one down. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish yes. you had back? And that's, that's the car that replaced the MG. It's a BMW. It was a BMW 2002. I actually ah, had two man. of them. I had one in 1970 that was involved in a five-car accordion accident on the Connecticut Turnpike. And I was the, I was the third of the five cars. The car was a total loss. I had just filled it up with Amico Super Premium, and that was all over the highway. Mm. <laughs> no smoking, oh, no. please. But no. what was really impressive is, A, the car in front of me was a Cadillac, and their ins his insurance company uh, declared that car a total wreck, a total loss. So I destroyed a Cadillac with my little BMW. And <laughs> That's saying something. I guess I was proud of that. I don't know. I shouldn't be. And the doors were perfect. They locked. They opened and closed. There was nothing out of alignment in the cabin. It was perfect, wow. even though the front and the back were essentially sheared off. Yeah, so I thought, zones. this is a safe car. What yeah. am I going to replace it with after I got the settlement? And I thought, you know, I thought about getting an Alfa Romeo. 1750. And I thought, you know, well, this car kind of saved my life or, you know, kept me from bodily harm. So I just bought a duplicate car when the settlement came in. So I had a 71 BMW from 1971 to about uh, for the next 21 years. 
Oh my gosh. Or maybe, maybe longer. And my kids hated the seat belts, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> this kind of click seat belts that you, you had to yeah. use force to, I thought it was a great car and it was a great handling car. You could, you could make a dance. If, if you just chuck the wheel real hard, the back sure. end slides out, but then it comes into, it straightens up right away. I kind of, I, l- I learned how to drive. I don't want to say aggressively, but in a creative way with that car, uh, because nice. it always, it always had your back. It really did. It was either that one or the previous BMW. I drove it. The first long trip I ever took in the car, it broke down. We got it towed to, I think it was a BMW dealer. Pretty, I'm pretty sure it was. The diagnosis was the gulp valve in the admission system went bad. And that, hmm. that one piece was made by General Motors. Oh, my goodness. So, wow. in other words, BMW didn't <laughs> yeah. do anything. Anything they did was on the level. The piece they had to outsource disappointed me. But uh, but in general, that car always came through. It's just nice. a real fun to drive. And when I see them now, I think about, oh, can you go back and you do it again? But uh, I've resisted the temptation. Plus, they're really expensive now. Yeah, they have gone up. But I guarantee if you'd bought that Alpha instead, it would not have lasted you 21 years. So you made the no, right I, choice. I, I look- I looked under the alpha and the tailpipe was hanging down really low. And I lived in Manhattan and it was the really rough days in New York with infrastructure was gone to hell. And I'm sure that thing would have come off within the first or second week. So no doubt, no doubt. I ultimately did get an Alfa Romeo though. So I'm I'm fulfilled in that regard. (laughs) There you go. Good to hear. Well, I would love for you to share a little bit more with the listeners here about Feral Cars, all the things you're doing with that. What's it all about? What prompted you to start it? And what can we expect when we go visit all your social media sites? Well, uh, Feral Cars, I just was sort of um, transfixed by cars in the wild. In other words, not I go to my share of car shows and auctions and so on, but I like to see real cars of some vintage that are in use, that are people's, I don't know if they're their daily drivers, but they're registered and, you know, plausibly movable. And you can tell by the alternate side of the street parking rules that, you know, you just can't leave it there open-ended. You've got to move it. It's got to move under its own power, most likely. So initially, I saw a lot of, this was maybe 10 years ago, I saw many, many, and remember, I live in Los Angeles, where the percentage of old cars is fairly high, a lot of Falcons. Ford Falcons. And I, I used to say, look, a feral Falcon. And there were rancheros, <laughs> convertible station wagons, sedans, and so on. I'm not a Ford guy by any means, but it really made me like kind of appreciate these very unassuming cars. At one point, my uh, spousal equivalent said, I'm going to buy you a website. You can call it feral cars because I like cats too. <laughs> I like, I like domestic cats, but I'm no animus towards wild ones. And I thought, well, I'll, what I'll do is post pictures of these cars and tell a story about them. So, uh, I mean, if you go back to feralcars.com and, and by the way, the, the site is pretty fallow. I, I, I don't add to it very often because I've switched over to Instagram. So much, so much easier to be, uh, non-literate. So my criteria were, because I found out the average car on the road is 11 years old, let's double that. The cars have to be 22 years old for me to consider them. Not that anybody is lobbying for me to include their car in this thing. It has to be in the wild. has to be, you know, not at a car show, not at a used car lot or an auction or anything like that. Yeah, a car that's used. It's out there getting driven. And not one up on blocks. 
I don't want it heavily modified. I don't want a custom car or a street rod. People send me street rods all the time. Look at this. Like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a 56 Chevy with, with a Camaro underneath it or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and it has to be registered. I want current registration, which is okay. more than I can say for all of my cars, but that's another story. <laughs> um, and so it's sort of plausible that somebody drove this car to this space and we'll drive it out of this space. And yeah. they don't have to be terrible looking cars or, you know, uh, in any way, um, distressed. I see really beautiful ones, you know, very, very well cared for ones as well as ones that are need attention. Right. Some of them, I'm so wherever I go, I, if I see one, I take a picture of them. And now I have people out in the field sending me photos of cars that they find. They just don't get sometimes the constraints of what's needed. It'll take a three quarters of the of the front and cut the back off. I hate that. I want the whole car, <laughs> even if it's at some kind of an angle. Anyway, uh, I've just sort of post these cars with hashtags that relate to them. I did a forty a nineteen forty Ford today, so hashtag running boards, hashtag flat yeah. flathead, and. Um, if you keep your eyes open, you see a lot of interesting cars. My great delight is to get them in motion, which is not easy when you're driving. You shouldn't do it. But I see them walking down the street and I see them. They're really living in L.A. and spending a lot of time in Palm Springs. You see a lot of really old cars running around. I saw Buick Riata driving down the street yesterday and I was like, Thrilled. I was probably the only person thrilled to see it. <laughs> yeah, and the probably. driver saw me, the driver saw me taking pictures. I said, come on, you got a Riata. This is fantastic. And he He's like, why? That who I is had... that guy? See an attorney trying to serve a subpoena? Who is that guy? Right. <laughs> Hide your face. He, he, he appreciated that I appreciated his car for yeah. whatever reason I did. I could tell him a story. The factory where that car was made was converted to build GM's EV1. You know, there's a, there's a story behind the story always, but yeah, um, yeah. what what can you do in the short time you cool. have? So cool. that's that's what it's about. I like it. Well, I'll let, make sure that I post a links to all the Feral Car sites that Bob has out there on his Cars Yeah show notes page for you listeners. Here's a very introspective question for you, Bob. If you were a car, what would you be? What kind of Feral Car would you be and why? I've, I've got the answer to this one already. I'd be a Studebaker Avanti. It's A, it checks my Studebaker box in no uncertain terms. It uh, checks my um, affinity for lost cause box in a big, lost causes box in a big way. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a car that people just uh, are, it's polarizing, I guess. Uh, some people think it's fantastic and beautiful and some don't get it at all. And right. nobody knows, I mean, uh, car people know, but a lot of people have no idea how old it is. They don't know if, is this a car from the 90s? Is this a car from current times? Uh, it's not, it's not understandable because it right. broke it, all the constraints. And uh, I just love the fact that if you put it on a lift and you put a, my Studebaker Lark convertible on a lift, it's the same car underneath. Well, that's right. Yeah. Interesting fact yeah, it's, there. It's built, a lot it's of people built on know. a Lark, Lark convertible platform. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, the convertibles are usually, or in this case, are reinforced because of flex. And you want mm-hmm. that with a fiberglass car. And it's it's just a great testimony to Studebaker's ability to improvise. They had no resources and they made a you know an incredible sports car with what with with really what was at hand exactly a little bit of a last hurrah there very nice very nice i think you're one of the rare uh studebaker avantis here on cars yeah 
Well, Bob, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hey, this is Mark Green. Are you interested in selling online and building a sustainable business? Bonanza is a marketplace platform that empowers you to create your dream business. Getting started at Bonanza is easy. You can start fresh or import your items from other marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or Shopify. Auto parts and accessories are a high-performance category at Bonanza, and there's no risk involved in signing up. There are no listing fees or monthly fees. You pay only when you make the sale. Bonanza listens to seller feedback and uses it to improve tools and build new features, so there are tons of customization options for sellers no matter what the size of your business. Be sure to sign up using the link bonanza.com slash cars yeah and you'll receive a free consultation with Bonanza experts who make sure that you are on your way to generating sales. That's bonanza.com slash cars yeah. All right, Bob, we're back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Kind of a lightning round here, so here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Let someone who knows what he's doing do it. Yes. <laughs> you may think you can do a brake job on your car, but only a fool would do that if if he didn't have the skills and tools to do it. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? I think um, uh, I'm open-minded. I feel like, um, I mean, in an automotive sense, I see something noteworthy in virtually every car I come in, I, I encounter. It makes things more interesting. I pay attention to the details. Spring to my, uh, to my horizon. There's always something that I get a kick out of and, uh, it, it, uh, enhances the experience. There you go. Now about a resource. Is there a resource that you are really fond of that you'd like to share? You know, when you post this in your printed thing, I said feral cars, but that's not really a resource. It's just something I do. <laughs> I mean, the Internet in, as a whole. I mean, there's virtually – I do love Bring a Trailer because I, I, I follow uh, cars. Yeah. And uh, I actually bought a car that had been on Bring a Trailer, but I didn't buy it through Bring a Trailer. And I was so disappointed. I was selling a car, and they they didn't accept it. This was early Uh-oh. on in Bring a Trailer. I don't know. I, I've sent so many emails to them. You want this car? You want this car? You want this car? And I never, I never heard back from them. I, I think it's different now. You just pay and you get in. I think so. Yeah. But nice. then it, wa- <laughs> it wasn't quite that way. I had a very, yeah. a, a very distressed Avanti. I was 
I, I had gotten a replacement Avanti. Isn't that great? Oh, okay. Replacement okay. Avanti. <laughs> a replacement Avanti. A replacement Avanti. So my previous one, oh I had. Oh my to, gosh. I wanted to get. I wanted to get rid of it. And uh, anyway, I, I I did it through the Studebaker um, turning wheels, the Studebaker um, Club oh, yes. Drivers Club uh-huh. magazine, and it was yep. funny. I put the ad in, and like you know, almost a month goes by before it's printed. And I was in Barcelona. It's four in the morning. The phone rings, and it's a guy in. Now, uh, what is that a supercharged car? It's like, what is this? Who's calling? You know, it's like yeah, amazing. why are you calling me? Oh, you have a car for sale. Oh, it That's was in, why. it was in upstate New York, and I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I kind of, I had a live one on the phone. You know? Yeah, don't let those go, especially with an old Avanti. Well, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? Raymond Lowy. Ah, yes. More than uh, a person in the automotive industry, but certainly. Was involved with a lot of touchstones. I actually own two Lowy designed or attributed to Lowy cars as we speak by Avanti and my 53 Studebaker Starliner. I know full well that he didn't make the clays that turned into those cars. He had people like Virgil Exner and Bob Burke working for him, but it was under his aegis. And I, I do respect that. He was like a the Medici, you know, you, you yes. work for the patron and something good comes out of it. I, I oh, liked yeah. his, I liked his, um, he had a lot of flourish and flamboyance. He was a big, big, big personality. I met uh, Tom Kellogg, who was on the original Avani design team and said, well, Mr. Lowy, when he was in France, he was very American. When he was in the States, he was very French. He wanted to be, uh, you know, exotic. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He, yeah. He got my attention and uh, I still has so. it, actually. Absolutely. In fact, I just read a story that Peter Brock wrote for Grassroots Motorsports about Raymond Lowy and the Avanti and the design, how that all thing came together. Peter's been a guest here on the show a couple times, and uh, I found a really interesting story. So uh, readers will have to reach out and find that story. Well, how about a book, Bob? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy? Industrial Design by Raymond Lowy. Another one, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I gave you that got book on way this, back. I, yeah. I got on this track with Lowy, and and even as a child, I knew his name. I don't, I can't tell you why I knew his name, but I did. It was branding of a kind, you know. For as much as we talk about these days, Harley Earl and Virgil Exner, we didn't know their names then. I don't think mm-hmm. so. But we, I knew Lowy's name as as a child. Um, yeah. And I think it's because he was interdisciplinary. Uh, you know, he was involved oh, in yeah. things other than other than cars. A lot of things other than cars. So um, you know, he was he was someone who knew how to leverage himself, work his way into people's consciousness. Even creative even guy. Kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my dad told me about him when I was little, and uh, my dad was an architect and an artist, so he was fond of Raymond Lowy as well. Well, listeners, you can find links. To all these cool things that Bob has shared on his Cars yeah show notes page, just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Bob Merlis, M-E-R-L-I-S, and you'll find everything right there. All right, Bob, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet today. doesn't matter what it costs because I'm paying, but there's a couple rules. You can only have this one car as a collector car. you got to get rid of all your other cars, and you have to drive it. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. you got to keep it. So what's it going to be? Well, I've contemplated this, and I already have it because I, you know, I have a bunch of collector cars or cars I've collected, I should say. I always call my Studebaker Lark convertible my last car, 
which is to say, I've done this exercise. If I were to divest everything and only keep one, what would it be? And it's the Lark because it's uh, it's a convertible, it's a four-speed, it's a V8, it's a Studebaker, and it has let me down, but not terribly. And uh, <laughs> and I'm so proud of the speeding ticket I got in Nebraska coming back from South Bend in it when the cop pulled me over and said, I never have seen a Studebaker convertible before. And I said to him, <laughs> I remember this, feast your eyes. I thought he just stopped me to look at, to admire the car. And then he wrote me a ticket. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I thought, and I, I don't know if Mr. Davis paid the ticket. I can't remember. But anyway, I have pictures of the cop in the car. It's, it's just so full of great memories. And it's, it's a great car to drive. I, I, I really trust it. And um, nice. I've had it somewhat, not frame off, but I've had it restored over these. I've had it painted three or four times since I owned it. So wow. uh, it's like a good old dog, you know? I think so. Well, I'm very happy. You know, I love it when I have guests on the show who already have their dream car, and I think that's pretty special. Plus, it's- I have other cars that I think about a lot, um, and uh, one of them is uh, Facel Vega. I love everything mm. about that car. It's French, it's elegant, and it's Chrysler Hemi-powered. It's, and I've seen them in person, and I'm, they're awesome. They're just fantastic-looking cars. And I imagine they drive okay. They probably drive like a Chrysler of that period. I'm okay with my Lark. I really am. Well, Bob, you've taken us on a great ride today. I want to thank you for sharing so many cool stories with us. I wonder if you could offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Studebaker Lark convertible. <laughs> Well, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top was a client of mine. He's always asked for advice, people who want to be in music. And he, he always says, play what you want to hear. And uh, I love that. I'd like to trans... I'm not a musician. I, I don't know how to transpose that, but it's kind of do do what you like. Do, do what makes you happy. Within reason, don't go off and do something <laughs> irresponsible and hurt people. But I feel like, uh, you know, I've just sort of fixated on cars for all this time and I try to build them into my gestalt. You know, this is, it's, yep. um, it's part of me. So I, that's what I like. I like music Perfect. too, obviously. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm two for two. Nicely said. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and Feral Cars? I think uh, Facebook is is the easiest because I'm going to definitely see it. I'll read all the comments. There's no obligation. There's n- I'm not selling <laughs> anything. You can just look at look at a bunch of nutty cars, voice your opinion or whatever you want to do, and I'll see it I'm for sure. And is that Feral Cars on Facebook just as it's spelled? Yeah. Feral Cars? Yep. Okay. Follow Bob and Feral Cars. You can find links there on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Bob Merlis, because I've had a few Bobs on the show, so make sure you add Merlis in the search bar, and that page will pop right up. Bob, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's been fun. Enjoyed it. Absolutely. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, 
Bolt Together Construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.